I'm Greg Kutsona, talking about science and religion for the open-minded. I want to continue in this week's episode, this is part B, talking about contemporary atheism. I've done hour-long qualitative surveys of emerging adults, particularly students at Chico State University, and here was one of the quotes, uh, here's a quotation from one of the students, and I quote it as I took it down. I grew up in a religious household where we prayed before every meal and went to church every Sunday. I was fed the knowledge of the Bible and what it stood for. I never questioned my religious beliefs because I was taught not to. As a result, I grew up believing in something I didn't want to believe in. However, when the theory of evolution was brought to my attention, I began to stop believing. The quote ends, and I want to point out that evolution may be the cause for atheism for some and perhaps many, but there are many other causes. This brings us to the conflict theory of religion and science. Partly it's that we live in a society where, uh, university society, especially in elite universities, where there is an assumed conflict between religion and science, or at least that many scientists are not religious in elite universities. And elite universities have a particular influence beyond their size. Um, I'm talking about the Ivy League. I'm talking about great public universities like UC Berkeley, UCLA, the University of um, Wisconsin-Madison, and so on. Uh, Just to give you some uh, statistics from Elaine Howard Eklund and Christopher P. Scheidel's book, Religion Versus Science, What Religious People Really Think, When we conducted a large survey, Eklund and Scheidel say, that looked at a religiosity religiosity among American elite university scientists compared with the general U.S. population, the difference between the two groups were fairly stark. Sorry, the differences were fairly stark. Only 11% of chemists, 7% of biologists, and 6% of uh, physicists in elite universities stated that they have no doubts about God's existence compared with 63% of U.S. adults. Again, 11% of chemists, 7% of biologists, and 6% of uh, physicists. At the other extreme, slightly more than 40% of physicists and biologists and about 27% of chemists said they unequivocally do not believe in God compared with about 2% of U.S. adults. So not all natural scientists at U.S. universities are atheists, but they are certainly quite religiously different from the general U.S. population, at least on traditional measures of what it means to be religious. And so um, I end my quote from the chapter, Religious People Are Not Scientists. That's uh, one of the myths that's being taken on. And one of the reasons we have this myth is because of the prominence of uh, the voice of secularists in science at these elite universities. Um, I'm just going to pause there for just a sec. This then brings us to the four horsemen of atheism. This is, of course, an allusion to the four horsemen of the apocalypse in the book of Revelation from the New Testament. One of them is Richard Dawkins, whom uh, I'll spend some time with in this episode. 
I am religious because it teaches us to be satisfied with not understanding the world. Sam Harris, religious moderation is the product of secular knowledge and scriptural ignorance. The third horseman, Daniel Dennett, the only meaning of life worth caring about is the one that can withstand our best efforts to examine it. And then finally, one of my personal favorites for his amazing rhetoric and fluency of language, Christopher Hitchens, that which can be asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. One more quotation from Richard Dawkins. And this comes, and now it's really relating to um, the, to the relationship of evolutionary biology and atheism. An atheist before Darwin could have said, following Hume, I have no explanation for complex biological design. All I know is that God isn't a good explanation, so we must wait and hope that somebody comes up with a better one. End of that quote within Dawkins's quote. And here's what Dawkins finishes with in The Blind Watchmaker. I can't help feeling that such a position, though logically sound, would have left one feeling pretty unsatisfied. And although atheism might have been logically tenable before Darwin, Darwin made it possible to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist. Darwin made it possible to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist. So we've seen the development in the 19th century of methodological naturalism. This is not philosophical naturalism, which I defined in the last episode. And let me define it. Let me just repeat that definition. That matter constitutes the fundamental substance in all things, and thus that mental aspects and consciousness are purely the results of material interactions. So um, that's philosophical naturalism. Methodological naturalism says that science just looks at the, by its methods, that's the methodological part uh, component, at the natural cause and effect. So it, science as a discipline keeps looking at the interactions within the material or natural world. Um, this works against, in some ways, Aristotle's final cause. So Aristotle had four causes, material, formal, efficient, and teleological. Um, material is closest to what we mean by methodological naturalism. Teleological is what is the purpose of what we're doing, the, the goal. So uh, if I'm boiling water uh, in order to make tea, the material or, uh, or the natural cause is there is heat causing the tea kettle to warm the water. But the teleological meaning would be I'm doing that for the purpose of brewing tea. Um, before about the 1830s, uh, when I mentioned there was this coining of the idea of, uh, coining of the, of the term scientist, um, before that, it was really the idea of natural philosophy. And that could include final causes or even causes, supernatural causes. But in the 19th century, methodological naturalism developed so that science talked only about natural causation. And the most prominent figure today is, of course, uh, as I mentioned, Richard Dawkins. You could also see this with Lawrence Krauss, Jerry Coyne. And they go on to say science can adjudicate and decide whether there is a God or not. And uh, as I mentioned about Coyne, um, believing, uh, is, faith is believing things without evidence. This uh, is responded to by 
the uh, philosopher and theologian Alistair McGrath, who says, this bears no recognizable resemblance to what at least Christians believe, and one could say uh, other thoughtful modernist uh, believers in um, a monotheistic religion. So I want to continue and uh, quoting from McGrath in his book, Science and Religion. This is in his chapter, Science, uh, Richard Dawkins and Scientific Atheism. Does Science Deny God? Richard Dawkins, born 1941, is perhaps the best-known representative of scientific atheism. He held the position of Professor of the Public Understanding of Science at Oxford University until his retirement in 2008. His most famous work in popularizing scientific themes is The Selfish Gene, from first published in 1976. In this work, Dawkins argued for a genes-eye view of evolution. The genes I view of the world regards an individual organism as a, quote, survival machine, quote, a, quote, passive receptacle for genes, end of quote, and, quote, a colony of genes, end of quote. And now I will quote Dawkins at length. Genes swarm in huge colonies, safe inside gigantic lumbering robots, sealed off from the outside world, communicating with it by tortuous indirect routes, manipulating it by remote control. They are in you and me. They create us body and mind, and their preservation is the ultimate rationale for our existence. End of quote. You can see how Dawkins is a beautiful stylist as well as a powerful uh, rhetorician in addition to his scientific credentials. His book from 1986, The Blind Watchmaker, takes on William Paley's idea of the watchmaker analogy, and it argues how a neo-Darwinian account of evolution eliminates any need to believe in God as an alleged designer or creator of the natural world. So, formally, it was presented by people like Paley, and I'm now going to draw from Paley but not quote him directly, that if we have a giraffe that has a long, long neck, there was an intelligent designer that created the giraffe in that way. That would be a directed process. What uh, Dawkins says is that we have an undirected process of evolution, that giraffes that had longer necks survived and passed on, their, and therefore were able to pass on their genes because they were able to get to the food source more effectively. They were more fit to the environment. And uh, that gives the illusion of a directed process or design process, even though it is actually undirected. That's why he calls it the blind watchmaker. Um, uh, Here's McGrath's interaction with Dawkins in this book. Yet Dawkins seems to assume that the intellectual case for Christianity rests largely, if not totally, upon an argument for design such as that proposed by Paley. However, this kind of argument is actually quite a recent development, having emerged in England in the late 17th and early 18th centuries, especially through the work of John Ray, uh, whose dates are 1627 to 1705, such as Ray's Wisdom of God manifested in his works from 1691. Dawkins makes an excellent case for abandoning Paley. Sadly, he seems to think this also entails abandoning God. Paley's arguments were being openly criticized as intellectually and aesthetically inadequate a decade before the publication of Darwin's 1859 Origin of Species. John Henry Newman, one of the religious luminaries of that age, expressed the view that Paley's approach simply made Christianity intellectually vulnerable and was more likely to lead to atheism than religion as an outcome. 
So you see there um, that Dawkins may not be up to date exactly with uh, what are some of the better views of religious faith, but many people do represent the, their religion based on an argument from design, and Dawkins takes that on. Similarly, uh, Christopher Hitchens um, believes and is convinced, or was convinced, he's now... Uh, has died, the late Chris Richens, in his book, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything, has this powerful uh, paragraph, which I'll excerpt. Quote, Religion has caused innumerable people not just to conduct themselves no better than others, but to award themselves permission to behave in ways that would make a brothel keeper or an ethnic cleanser raise an eyebrow. People are in diff their different ways People of faith are in their different ways planning your and my destruction and the destruction of all the hard-won human attainments that I have touched upon. Religion poises, poisons everything. So there you have it. Contemporary atheists presenting their case against religion. Often based on on the ill effects of religion, as with Hitchens, on presentations of design which have been undone by the undirected processes of Darwinian evolution, or by their unreasonableness, as in the case of Daniel Dennett, who says that we need to examine life to make it worth living, because that is the only life worthy of caring about.